Welcome back to Caracast, the podcast from Kerasoft, the trusted government IT solutions provider. Subscribe to get the latest technology updates in the public sector. I'm Corey Baumgartner, your host from the Kerasoft production team. On behalf of Kerasoft and Tanium, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast focused around technology innovation in government. Michael Farrar, CIO of the City of Westerville, Ohio, Jonathan Reich, CIO of the City of Dayton, Ohio, and Chris Cruz, CIO of Public Sector from Tanium, will provide insight on how agencies can meet current and future needs using innovative technologies. Great to be here in Columbus, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all today and introduce you to our incredible panelists and talk about technology, which is probably my favorite topic in the entire world. Uh, you can't pick up a magazine or a newspaper uh, without seeing the story about, at least right now, AI. But technology is driving our future. And it, it's, I had a colleague uh, from my former employer, Accenture, say to me, you know, in the future, we'll all be technologists first and then specialists later. And I laughed at him at the time. But now, <laughs> now that it seems to be coming true, I'm not laughing anymore. So thank you all for being here to share this incredible topic all of these incredible topics. The technology revolution has reshaped consumer markets all over the world. And it's also working here in the state of Ohio and for state and local governments as well. As many of you know, the state of Ohio, state, local and educational organizations are moving, moving quickly to integrate innovative technologies that can drive better decision-making while lowering the cost of ownership for IT systems. Incorporating new technologies and creating opportunities to reimagine the future workforce for both the public and private sectors. Guiding Ohio's transformation is the Department of Administrative Services IT Innovation Technology Strategic Plan. It focuses on digital experience, data analytics, enterprise shared services, on-premise or in public clouds and collaboration. The strategic plan identifies five priorities, cybersecurity, and risk management, digital services and digital government, data management and analytics, identity and access management, and the workforce. To deliver on these priorities, the Innovate Ohio platform provides integrated scalable capabilities that enable agencies to become more user-centric and data-driven. And that's what our gentlemen that are here with me in the podium are gonna talk about today. And also our guest is gonna join us virtually. So we'll hear from them in just a second. Innovation in technology is driving a more streamlined citizens experience, as well as establishing data integration for better decision-making and lowering the cost of ownership of IT for agencies in Ohio. Whether supporting more citizen web portals, refining emergency response, or applying for licenses online, agencies in Ohio are using innovation as a tool for change. So let me introduce our change makers. Uh, joining us is Michael Farrar, Chief Information Officer, City of Westerville, Ohio. Thanks for joining us. John Reich, Chief Information Officer, City of Dayton, Ohio. John. And Chris Cruz. Can you hear me, Chris? I can hear you. Thank you. It's great. I can hear you. Chief Information Officer for, for Public Sector at Tanium. He'll be with us virtually, of course. So let's start with questions for you, Michael, if we can. Um, as the Chief Information Officer for the City of Westerfield, please talk about some of your recent use cases incorporating innovative technologies to improve user experience for citizens in the workforce. Uh, thank you, Jane uh, and Fed Insider, uh, for helping set up this event. Uh, it's an actual, uh, very much an honor and a privilege to be here to speak to you today. Um, so how are we using innovation to, and technology to bridge the gap between our citizens and our workforce? Um, we like to try and engage with our citizens as much as possible and create transparency between uh, with the services that we deliver and making sure that our citizens can know that we're being heard. So one of the things that we, we, we like to do is, uh, is provide them the tools to communicate with us. Uh, and one of the ways we're doing that we use a solution uh, called Tell Westerville and Go Westerville, which are web pages and apps where the citizens can go ahead and actually put in work orders and report uh, issues, maybe a missed trash collection, or maybe there's a repair that needs to be made. Um, they can do it from their phone and they can go ahead and they could take a picture, pull exact GPS coordinates of where the location is. So they can go ahead and report directly to the people that matter getting this stuff taken care of. Uh, 
So that empowers our staff because we use a uh, solution called CityWorks on the back end, which then logs and report the, the ticket and reports everything out. And work orders can be sent out to people in the field live. So while we have a, a group out working maybe sidewalk repairs, if we get a, 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 a ticket that's raised by a resident and they're in the area, they can quickly go and respond to that. So we're, return, we're shortening the time that we actually engage uh, with the, the resident to get that, that, that problem resolved and giving them a higher quality of service in life. Uh, so it, it's been uh, very po popular with our citizens and they, they love to engage with us on it, especially when they miss their trash. So uh, that's, uh, that's one example. Uh, another thing we've noticed is um, you know, cellular signal. Uh, is is degrading in the area because of everybody's moving to 5G. Everybody has a smart device that has a cell connection. And with a popular area as our historic downtown, we call Uptown Westerville, um, it can be sometimes hard to actually get connected. Uh, and us being technologists, who doesn't want to be connected these days? So uh, we, are we are really lucky in the fact that we have our own data center as a utility called WeConnect, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but uh, we actually provide public Wi-Fi uh, by WeConnect to our visitors, our residents, and to city staff. So they're always connected. We don't have to worry about any kind of challenges with any cellular signals. Um, we can go ahead and we can make sure that we're delivering the services and our staff are always being connected. Uh, so quicker response times uh, for, for everyone. And, and the final thing I was going to touch on was uh, we were unique in the sense that we have our own electricity division uh, and also water division. And our electricity division uh, uses a uh, application called SCADA, which monitors the entirety of the, of the uh, electricity network. And we've been able to go ahead and add in reporting features to this that when we see an outage or an issue, it automatically generates a ticket. It also generates an email and we're a Google shop. So it also creates a Google chat. It provides the location of the outage, the address and actual aerial image. And we start actually knowing about the outage and are able to start troubleshooting it or even rolling trucks before the customer even calls us. So that response time to actual resolution time and getting the power uh, back on for that resident is, is unprecedented. And uh, it's one of the reasons why we have one of the highest ranked uh, electricity uh, groups in, in, in the region. So uh, that's, that's, that's just a couple things. I could go on for hours uh, because I'm super excited about everything, but I wanna give John and, uh, and uh, Chris, the opportunity to have a few things as well. So thank well, you. That's very impressive. And I'm sure that you're, you're getting good scores from your uh, from your constituents on citizen engagement. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do get uh, very, very high scores. We've, uh, we're always uh, surveying our, our public to ask how we can do better. And, and they've been rating us in our last uh, public approval rating was in the 90 percentile range. So um, actually pretty good, better than uh, some of the larger, more popular brands out there. And I, I won't shame anybody's And probably a lot better than the federal government is receiving right now in its citizen services. So congrats to you. Thank you. All right. And John, I want to hear from you, city of Dayton, a little bit bigger city, but talk to us about how you're managing IT systems and solutions that in, that uh, support internal operations and customer services, like cloud services, cybersecurity applications. Well, I'm only half joking on this, mostly hope and prayer, right? Because I don't think that it's ever been harder to be a leader of municipal IT. Um, we're in an environment of ever increasing demands for our services or, and our technology, but we're also in an environment where our costs are going up, but our revenues are pretty flat. And so that creates quite a challenge for a lot of us and specifically in Ohio, because we're no different than Westerville in the fact that we rely on income tax for our, our general fund. And so if the income tax isn't coming in and work from home has had a tremendous impact on that, um, we've got to do more with less. And I'm sure that's a theme that you all have heard for a very, very long time. Um, but having said that, at the city of Dayton, we have 17 unique departments um, that are very unique in their needs and their business models. Everything from a municipal airport uh, to a water utility that not only supplies water to the Dayton um, municipality, but also to Montgomery County as a whole. And so, you know, you've got to understand and spend some time with those businesses to understand their direction and their aspirations. But ultimately, I think it comes down to four things because there are themes here that are, are critically important. I think the first is communication, both internally and externally, right? 
Because if I'm not spending the time with my business leaders, hearing their pain, hearing their, their aspirations, I'm unable to connect them technologically. I think the other thing, and it's a, a great reference to this event today, and thank you, Jane, for having me. Appreciate it. Um, is that you have to, you know, and I, I wouldn't use this analogy with my wife, but have one foot in, one foot out, right? Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, I've got to be focused on operations, but I also have to get out and network and, and, and create relationships with people that are doing things that may be ahead of where I am. And, and Mike, when I were talking prior to this session, um, Westerville has done some really, you know, I, what I think are creative uh, initiatives around conduit and conduit leasing. And that's a tremendous opportunity to generate revenue for your municipality. For us, that would be innovative for them, that's standard operations, right? So I think as a municipality, sometimes we can't be insecure about where we are in, in, in our path in front of us. And so that's important. So communication internally and ex externally. Collaboration is critically important. And it's not just inside the house anymore. How many of us are super dependent on vendors right now, right? And, and that relationship with those vendors is critical for your success. Um, and you don't have full control over those vendors. It's not like you're writing their performance plans at the end of the year. Um, we talk a lot about integration, right? So as we manage some of the technology stack that we have at the city of Dayton, um, when people are making proposals or, or suggesting acquisitions, one of the things I'm always looking at, how does this impact our IT ecosystem as a whole, right? Because that business division may have an aspiration, may have a need, may have a, a direction that they want to go down, but can we sustain it and support it? And one of the things I've been telling my staff is simplicity is the new complexity, right? Let's make this environment as simplistic as we possibly can, because then you can sustain that, advance it, and grow it. Um, I think the last thing is optimization. How many people work in, in myopic environments where divisions don't think about other divisions? They procure technology without any thought about how that might play across the rest of the city. And so I look at myself almost like a, a, a traffic cop, so to speak, right? And so my job is to understand where each of the, the departments and the divisions are trying to go and where might there be technology within our stack that they could utilize to get there. And I'll give you a great example. Um, as an IT shop, we recently procured uh, an ITSM tool that's here based in Columbus called Team Dynamics. Well, Team Dynamics is predominantly used for ITSM, but it can do a lot of different service management. And so our city manager's office was tired of not having any complete records around citizen complaints. And so they had that need. I was in a, happened to be in a meeting with our, our city leadership. And I said, well, have you ever thought about using this tool? We already have it. It's, it's functional. It's no code. It's easy to set up. Um, and lo and behold, now they're using Team Dynamics to track citizen complaints. Um, but I'm, all those, those things would, would be meaningless without the most important thing. And that's the whole reason I get to sit here today. And that's because my team. The team, the team, the team, right? So if you don't have a great team, you can't execute. You can be great at communication. You can be good at collaboration. You can understand integration. You can understand optimization, but it won't matter, right? So in the three, almost three years that I've been at the city of Dayton, my biggest focus beyond keeping my leadership happy, obviously, is the team. How do you build a team in a municipal government that's really, really hard? Right. Because you've got power structures, you've got culture, you've got resistance. Um, and so as you bring in new ideas, you've got to manage that effectively, because what those new ideas do for, for your, your folks that have been there for a while, it makes them very uneasy, very nervous. Right. Because they're used to what they've always done. And so as you're introducing change through new employees and new ideas, you've got to be sensitive to that, and manage the culture as it grows with those new employees, with the new direction of the department. Um, and so those are the ways that I try to keep it in alignment. I'm not going to lie. It, at times it, it, it goes out of line. Right. right. And that's why you have to have governance. Um, and that's a whole other topic that we could spend all day on. But. but that change management piece that you're talking about, is that a formal, is that something formal that you do within the department or is it something that's more informal because you know that has to happen in order to make an effective change? You know, I, I think if you spend enough time with your people, you don't have to formalize it. Right. Because you know where they are. You spend enough time understanding where they sit today, where they want to be tomorrow and how you help them get there. Because a lot of times people are willing to buy into something if they see the value for them. Right. If I'm just asking you to do stuff and they don't see anything that's in it for them, they, they may do it because I, they, they are beholden to a performance evaluation. But are they going to do the thing that my mom used to call lanyap that really separates the good from the great? And that's that discretionary effort. And we see it all the time. You see it throughout your stats, right? You have some people that are going to do a little extra. You have some that won't. Um, but I think those that do extra are the ones that are engaged and feel like there's something they're getting out of it, right? And so that's a really important piece of it. Thanks very much. These are great answers. We really appreciate it. So let's go to Chris now. Chris, Chief Information Officer, Public Sector Atanium. There are increasing expectations, as you heard John just discuss, 
you know, to provide services on par with the private sector, which we know they spend a lot more money than the, the government does. Given that resources are limited, how can state, local education organizations that you work with balance the need for security and compliance with the demand for agility and speed? First of all, Jane, thank you. It's an honor to be here and serve on the panel with Kara Soff, and thank you for facilitating this effort with both Michael and John. And I think they both hit the nail on the head in terms of comprehensive planning leads to success and what they're doing with their organizations. Um, I, I understand that pretty well. I spent 31 years in public sector government managing as a CIO at the county, deputy state CIO here in California, and state CIO jobs in healthcare, transportation, and public health. So understand the opportunities, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and where you need to go for what I call constituent engagement. I think what we're seeing is a real paradigm shift, and, and John mentioned this, the, the importance today of public-private partnerships in government. Um, I know when I was a CIO, I relied a lot on the vendor community to help me fulfill, be a part of my team, so to speak, to help us uh, address those particular efficiencies and effectiveness in government. So agree with them wholeheartedly on that approach. When, you talk, when it comes to information security, I think the biggest opportunity we have to have is look at a common governance structure and framework for security. Today, in a lot of our state, county, and even at the local level, sometimes we have a central network with a lot of federation on top of it. So it's very important that we have incident response plans in place, coop cog plans, uh, security processes and procedures that are level set at an expectation level with governance, led by the CIO, the CISO, and also your department heads as well, buying into the plan. Because what I found, Jane, in, in, in government and what I see today in my role as CIO at Tanium is security is everybody's responsibility. And you need to be able to bake that into all your innovation, your transformational capabilities and competencies moving forward. So again, starting with good corporate governance, having a cybersecurity strategy in place that aligns how you get to that growth level of maturity um, is really important. Setting those expectations with your staff and folks of that particular manner to make sure what gets managed gets measured. You know, having a single platform effort for efficiencies that connects automation of your other tools into that so you can get real-time data reporting and address risk within your organization. I think the ever most important issue as well as the CIO and the CISO need to be hooked at the hip now in today's environment. They can't be off buying tools um, on their own recognizance. They need to pull their procurement processes together and centralize that within the strategy that I spoke to. I think that all that being said too is making sure that you have a zero trust framework in place. We've talked about identity and access management and how important that is. So having a way to authenticate users that are coming into these portals where we're driving innovation and complete competency is extremely important. Uh, ensuring that at the, the TAC vector that we have today out of all of these endpoints where people are logging in from anywhere, anytime, anyplace, it's very important that those authentication methods align with the security structure and strategy that you have. And that's also communicated with your application and cloud folks as well. So building those structures, application infrastructure places in place are extremely important in rolling out success in today's particular environment. And last but not least, having, again, a standard strategy outside of security, but a technology strategy. So as you innovate, you bring in AI, you bring in other innovative transformational applications or Internet of Things, that you have an application security layer baked into all of those applications. I know from experience when I took my last county job before I retired, we had a, an innovation and transformation team and they were doing awesome work. They are developing portals in ways that um, our constituents can pay their property taxes and things of that nature online. But what we found is they didn't bake an application security layer component into those open source apps and we weren't patching those on a regular basis. So those are the types of vulnerabilities that you wanna manage up front. And I believe that the most comprehensive way to do things with tools and integration of tools, because there's not a one size that fits all, is do the planning up front. Because I believe comprehensive planning leads to success when looking at a SecOps approach that we're talking about here to drive innovation and transformation, but also lay out and mitigate your risk as you move forward. And that's very important in today's attack vector that we have and the way that cyber hackers are looking at getting into any unlocked door into your particular systems. I would also advocate that the state, the cities and counties work together. It sounds like in Ohio, they have a common strategy on how you get there from here and following those particular dots and, and taking a very uh, realistic approach on your roadmap um, before you roll out applications to ensure those security components are in place. So I know that's a lot to be said, but I think the security piece needs to be more upfront in applications that folks buy and to make sure that there's common standards up front in those policies that those are also baked into your procurements, you know, whether it's NIST 800-53 or 
FedRAMP or state RAMP compliance were applicable for PHI and PII data components, that all needs to be upfront. So whatever purchase acquisition you make in terms of a cloud technology or an application, make sure that that's baked in and that you have necessary security reviews within your organization as you move forward. I, I like that, baked in, not bolted on. Thanks very much, and that's a very important piece of this. Our last panel, as you probably know, from looking at your agenda, will be addressing cybersecurity and security issues. So let's continue. Michael, back to you. Um, tell us how Westerville is using data for applied analytics and customizing citizen experiences using a feedback model, you know, just like you talked about. My trash has been picked up. I want to pick up like yesterday. And then using data to improve services. So one thing that, you know, I, I really resonates with what John said was about, you know, taking complexity and making it more simple and making sure that your, your systems are talking to one another and they're communicating and providing uh, data cross-functionally so everything can work together more collaboratively uh, really resonated because that's one of the things we've been trying to continuously improve on. Um, and one way we've done that for our citizens is we've created a, a page called our Transparency Hub. So it is a page that you can go out and you can take a look at uh, finances and how the government's uh, currently spending against the current budget. Um, there's uh, information about the utilities and how we're performing against what our, 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 our constituents are also performing against. Um, where we can also take a look at the police and see how uh, we're faring for any of our uh, any police stops or any kind of crime rate that's happening in the Westerville. So making information accessible to our residents to keep them informed is one of the key drivers that Westerville's been trying to uh, deliver. And uh, so when we deliver that information, they come to our city council meetings and they tell us, hey, we have more concerns. And uh, an example of this, uh, was parking in our uptown area. So uh, uptown is a very uh, historic area and it's uh, it, it's got some limited parking areas on the main streets, but it's very popular to come in for our fourth Friday events or other events that are happening in, in town. And they were saying, we don't have enough parking. We can't get there. So we need to build a parking structure. And so we said, all right, well, let's take a look and see what we can, what kind of data we can pull on this. So we partnered with a company called Fiber that put parking sensors in all the municipal parking areas in the uptown area. And we started gathering the data, monitoring it, looking for peaks and, and also where there was congestion and where there was there were any issues. And we found that there was a certain couple areas that were very, very popular and other areas that were extremely underutilized just right around the corner. So we went ahead and we made a campaign to actually provide that information to the residents. And uh, the the argument or the uh, up in arms to get a parking garage quickly went away because parking became readily available and everybody was happy. Um, so that's a really great uh, way that we've used utilized that transparency hub and, and data to to engage with our uh, our citizens. Uh, another way from a public safety perspective, um, we we were uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, um, a perception that uh, Westerville wasn't a safe place. Um, there, there was a lot of uh, videos of uh, people riding on quad bikes up and down, loud music being disruptive, and it was all like seemed to be in the Westerville area. So our citizens raised that to our city council and we started monitoring and being able to highlight where there was actually uh, police matters that were taking place, how we were addressing them, what was going on and what and we were able to ease their perception and say, hey, actually, we are much below what you know our neighbors are at from a crime rate. We are identifying these and taking care of them and being able to mitigate this by using the data that we capture to say these are the problem areas. These are where people are congregating, and and we're able to go ahead and disperse that. So it went back to the citizens saying that actually being in Westerville is a very safe community to live in, um, and through the efforts of our amazing police force. Um, and you know they they are amazing and they keep doing great and awesome things. But hearing the concerns of our citizens, that really really uh, helps us drive the messages that we provide. So can I ask how that feedback loop happens? So once you get the information and then obviously it's sent to other people in your organization, how do they communicate that to the citizens, or how do they respond? Do they do they wait for a meeting, or is there 
press release sent out or what's the communication between government and citizens? So we, we do it through multiple uh, different methods. One, obviously, is a city council meeting. Um, we actually have Westerville TV, um, which is our own television channel, which we broadcast all of our uh, city council meetings. So people can watch from home. Um, they can also, we stream the meetings as well. So they can go to a specific agenda item. They can come and attend in person. Uh, the one, one of the other things we do is we have a local publication. Um, it's a magazine that we produce uh, every, twice a month about what's going on in Westerville. And we highlight initiatives that have been raised, things that we've done, findings. We also, uh, we put things out on our website and we do uh, reach out through social media and we highlight uh, the findings of some of our studies as well. So uh, we, we try and come up with any possible way to engage and get that feedback and, and make it as easy for anyone who's you know, 18 with a mobile phone to who's in their 70s or 80s and they wanna come sit and talk to a council member after a council meeting or raise an issue directly with council in open session. So. Uh, we want to be as uh, open and engaged as we possibly can. I love it. I think it's great. More communication, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you very much. John, let's turn to you. So in Dayton, um, you have some pretty impressive neighbors, people like the Air Force Research Lab, University of Dayton Research Institute, and Technology First. So how do you work with them or foster a culture of innovation with, uh, with people who are already in the business of innovating? You know, Jay, when you sent that question over, I got stuck on it as a two-part question, right? Because one of the things that I, I think is somewhat true is this perception of government and its reluctance to engage in innovation, right? Because I think inherently government is about risk mitigation, right? And and what is in, what is innovation inherently? It involves risk, right? And so I think that that when I when I looked at that question, I, I sat and I pondered. How do we in government, whether it's state, federal, local, what have you, how do we be more innovative with our approach? And obviously, collaborations are a big piece of that. Um, but I, I was down in Cincinnati last weekend, um, and, I, and I heard a speaker, and he recommended a book that I read very quickly, and it's called We the Possibility, and it's written by a guy named Mitchell Weiss. And Mitchell Weiss worked in Boston for a period of time, and now he's a professor at Harvard. But basically, this whole book is about how we in government need to flip the paradigm, right? Because we're all about probability thinking, where we need to flip and be more about possibility thinking. And I think as we develop that culture, um, there's nobody that is more set up to be able to innovate and take chances than government, in my opinion, right? And so as we talk about collaborations and innovation within the Dayton region, um, there are opportunities everywhere. And so you had mentioned a few, and, and so I'll start with those. Um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is a tremendous partner. That drives the business economy of the Dayton region. You know, that's a sing the largest single-site employer in the state of Ohio. You've got 30,000 civilians going to work there every day, and that's nothing compared to all the affiliate contractors that surround the base in, the, in this region. Um, and so things that we're working on with the base are, are largely around new technologies. And, and one of those, um, in the city of Dayton, our county recently moved our fairgrounds. And it's this really large, attractive parcel right in the middle of downtown that Premier Health Partners and the University of Dayton now co-own. The first building that they're trying to put on that, that property is a gover government digitization center that would be sponsored by Wright Pat but have many, many community partners, right? Because you can't just have the government. You've got to have higher ed involved. You've got to have local municipalities. You have to have private industry. And so I've been a part of the group that's trying to figure out how do we bring this vision to, to fruition and how might we sustain it as we move forward? So that's one area. Uh, you mentioned Un University of Dayton Research Institute. Michael was aware, or, or one of your, your colleagues was aware of a project we did about two decades ago uh, where we brought Wi-Fi with a partner into the city. Um, we're doing a lot of work with camera aggregation in conjunction with UDRI because what they want to do is commercialize technology. And we're a great guinea pig, you know, very little risk for us, and there's very low cost, so we can take some of these chances with their technology. One of the coolest things that we're working on right now with them, you know, UDRI is a, a specialist in sensor technology. And we all talk about smart city technologies, but inherently, probably 50% of those smart city technologies require sensors of some sort, right? Whether it's street lights, what have you. Um, and so what we're trying to do is work with the research institute to figure out how might we bring sensors into our environment, water treatment would be a great example, to be more efficient, more proactive, so that we don't have issues where basements are backing up because we didn't know there was maintenance required on a sewer pipe, 
right? That's crappy, no pun intended. Um, but anyway, um, there's a little levity for the room. But uh, but you talked about uh, other opportunities for collaboration. I know at two o'clock, Peter Boderberg will be here speaking. Um, we've done a lot of projects with Broadband Ohio. And so about a year ago, we, we got funding to bring Wi-Fi into all of our public recreation centers. You know, if all cities are not equal and we're not all alike. And so while some cities may be going after fiber to the home, for a large urban core, that's probably not the right model. And so what we're trying to figure out is, okay, how do we start with what we can sustain the rec centers? And then how do we grow it from there? Because the, the access is one piece, but now we're trying to go after devices so that we can bring in a group like Ohio Connectivity Champions to do all the digital literacy training for our residents. And so we couldn't do that alone. I don't have the staff. I don't have the capacity. But when you partner with organizations, great organizations like Broadband Ohio and Ohio Community Connectivity Champions, that creates a possible path for us to be a player in raising the bar on digital equity. You mentioned technology first, and this is a selfish plug. As a board member for technology first, none of the other things can exist if we don't create the right ecosystem for technological success. And so I'm very proud of the work that Melissa Kucher and her team do. Um, we've been reaching out to a lot of other regional groups like the circuit in Cincinnati to figure out how do we grow this network? Because your network is really your value individually, but it's also your value collectively. And so in the Dayton region, if we wanna make this a community of choice for people to come live, work and grow old, well, part of that is about infrastructure. Part of that is about the ways in which we, we create opportunities within technology. And the last thing I'll say is we, we're, we're starting within technology first to dive a lot deeper into our talent pools. And I'm talking about the high schools. You know, this idea that you can go grab a co-op, um, good co-ops are gone by the time they're a freshman. I'll just be honest, right? Um, we work with Sochi, which is another partner. Um, if you try to get a great co-op that's going into their junior year, good luck. They're gone. There, there's no way they're even going to look at you. So you've got to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And now we're going to the freshman level of high school because seniors aren't even, that's, that's still not deep enough. Um, so how do we create internships? How do we create opportunities at the city of Dayton for these young people with aptitude, right? They may not be exactly where you want them to be, but they've got talent. Right. And so we're trying to find kids with talent. And you know what? We'll take a chance and grow on for four years because we know it's going to pay off. Well, at the very least, they're going to learn what you need them to learn. And and right. and at best, they may come to work with you at some point. That's the hope. That is That's the hope. That's the hope. Right. Exactly. This is, this is great stuff. I love it. So, Chris, back to security. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, some of the technological advances you've made at, at, uh, at your company, Tanium, and how agencies are achieving um success using multiple endpoint management and security tools in a single platform. Do you want to talk to us about that a little bit? Absolutely, Jane. But I, I will go back to something again that John said when I was in sure. government is naturally government is risk adverse. And maybe I'll set this up for my dissertation here. And so when I saw CIO jobs being advertised here in California state government, they wanted innovation and transformation. But oftentimes they hired uh, you know, men and women that were risk adverse and put them in the job and expected them to be transformative and innovative. So I agree completely. That was something, an environment that I tried to change the culture on and, you know, live up to that. And, and speaking of risk adverse, I think one of the areas that we're starting to see in government, both when I was in managing large organizations in government, my role here at Tanium, working directly with uh, federal, state, county, and local government, is the need for visibility management and control of your security devices and also remediation. Again, as I talked about it earlier, the attack vector has expanded. Um, now that we work in this, what I call hybrid work environment, people are authenticating from McDonald's, from Starbucks, wherever they can get free Wi-Fi. And oftentimes they're accessing critical applications within your network. So what we have to do and what Tanium does is we provide a single platform to look at and address that in real-time data. I, I think and the most important issue too, that what I'm seeing within that real-time data is understanding what assets that you have in your network. That is a huge risk for most of us. Um, I know originally, again, when I was a CIO, I found out that there was, when I had a federated network, I was a CIO for the centralized network in a very large county, um, that those programs were buying their own software tools. They were plugging them into the network. They were authenticating without the approval of the CIO and the CISO. And so um, when I was able to get asset management discovery and management together, I was appalled at the number of devices that were plugged in, the number of shadow IT applications that were plugged into the network, and what I needed to do as a CIO to remediate and manage that. And so what our organization does is give that real-time visibility to organizations, allow them to see all the assets that are managed and tracked, whether it be in your centralized IT network or your federated IT network, be able to encapsulate all those endpoints where there's an IP address that people authenticate into, so you have that level of visibility. 
And that's really important today because um, all it takes is, again, one unlocked door to get in and understand that. So managing your assets, having incident response in place, having a consolidated security approach, a single platform with real data to manage and address risk. So the CIO and CISO, when the Board of Supervisors in, in my tenure, the governor's office asked me, Chris, what is the risk threshold for the county? Um, when I first got there, I would say, well, it depends on point in time data, because I would have to take data, cobble it together with many solutions that I had in a manually intensive way to give them a snapshot of what I thought the profile was. And so with our organization, we take all that data up from the real-time endpoints, consolidate that into a, a benchmarking dashboard capability based on NIST and other benchmarking capabilities to give you that type of score. And I found that as a CIO to be invaluable. And today I work with other CIOs and CISOs and government to do those types of things, to make sure that all the doors are locked, um, that we have visibility management control. We have the ability through our threat response and detection capabilities to do sniper patching. So if there is an issue or a ransomware attack or something that comes in through an IP address, we have the ability to remediate and manage that and do it in real time. And real time is so important these days because a lot of times these criminals, you know, plant seeds, so to speak, in your network weeks or months in advance without you even knowing about it. And they're extracting data before you finally catch up with something through a nuance. And that's where I get back to proactive planning and having tools that are managing your network and keeping your IT hygiene up to a what I call a very high level through automation and APIs, not manual intensive processes, will mitigate your risk up front. And I think the dialogue is changing with CIOs and CISOs today in government, that they're more interested in, in tools and platforms like Tanium that integrate with their other tools, because there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but a comprehensive scenario in which Tanium is able to feed in that and provide real-time data. And I think that's where the, I always say, where the rubber hits the road, is having the ability to make informed decisions in a proactive way, rather than being reactive. And I will tell you in government, um, in the 30 years that I spent there, the people that I saw lose their jobs were over incidents and breaches. And not only did I see CIOs lose their jobs and CISOs, but also the executives running those organizations. So again, having that proactive planning up front and managing that rather than reactive and, and being in a crisis level management approach is the best way to forge within this particular scenario. And that's where Tanium comes in to work with, you know, whether it's Department of Defense or some of the largest or medium or local organizations today in government to effectuate those types of changes and impacts. Because what we're seeing today, and especially here in California, cities are getting hit. And they're getting hit once or twice a month now, where before that wasn't a part of the attack scenario now. So no one is really immune to these types of attacks, whether it be our educational institutions, uh, cities, counties, or other localities. And so that's where we come in to drive that particular plan and help the CIO and CISO get a framework together that helps them manage and execute within those particular controls and integrate with the other tools that you have to feed those tools real-time data. So Chris, is the move to managed services happening more rapidly because of these issues that you just talked about? I believe so. I think it all depends too on the maturity of the organization. And that's been a challenge, Jane, quite frequently is, you know, most organizations don't have the level of expertise. And so what we're trying to do is come in with a managed service approach where we automate a lot of that functionality and configuration that was previous done manually by you know, people that I manage and, and others obviously in the room to uh, expedite that type of impact. And the more automation that you have around your patching, your vulnerability assessment and asset control and the reports that you have, it helps you make those kinds of decisions without having to have, how can I say this, a plethora of IT resources kind of cobbling those things together. And that that's where I saw the, the IT hygiene and the levels of maturity excel within my organizations and some of the organizations I'm working at today as a Tanium CIO, I'm seeing that same type of experience. Michael, back to you. You have one of the only, if not the only, you haven't given me a direct answer about which one it is. It, the, the only. only. Okay, <laughs> so the only uh, municipally owned, municipally, did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, owned data center in the United States. How did you manage that? And how do you do manage the technology transformation of the city's data center and the fiber network? So th this is extremely exciting to become coming in and coming into Westerville, learning about technology as the CIO and be trying to be innovative. And they say, oh, by the way, we have our own data center that you get to play with and work with and do all these awesome, amazing things. Uh, it's mind blowing. Um, it, so 
we connect our data center uh, is was established back in uh, March of uh, 2012, and uh, it's got about 17,000 square feet of uh, data center uh, co-location space that we can expand and grow. Um, and one of the things that the city had as a challenge was is we're, we're building fiber, we're building conduit, we're built, we're creating these services. We need to have a place to stick all this. And do we want to go ahead and have pay somebody else to do it? Um, how, how do we want to operate it? Um, we've also had a challenge of uh, municipalities shouldn't be in the data center game, um, like I'm sure other people have heard about with fiber to the home, or you shouldn't be doing this or doing that. Um, and Westerville took a chance. They they took they said we're gonna we're going to give this a go, and they built out this this data center, and it's been nothing but amazing since the, the, its conception. So we now have a place that we can own, operate, terminate, and and use our own municipally owned fiber for innovative pieces for government for all of our government operations, supporting our police services, our fire services, running our utility network. Um, we can run the traffic network. We can do all the great, wonderful innovation things at the flip of a switch. We don't have to ask for any help or support because we own and operate it. So th that's been a huge success from that standpoint. But also, we've been able to diversify this from a jet revenue generation uh, piece by using it for economic development. So having a data center in Westerville uh, is it actually has helped us attract very large uh, headquartered uh, companies in healthcare, uh, finance, technology, and uh, and also logistics to the Westerville area because now they have a data center that's local that provides them all the connectivity across fiber that they need. They have all the carriers in there. They, we offer cloud solutions. We offer co-location co solutions. So we, we're diversifying the business of government and we're finding new innovative ways to to generate revenue um and it's just every day we get opportunities thrown at us and uh i think the big thing comes down is to we have to prioritize those we have to make sure we have the right staff <laughs> so we don't get burned out on all the great things but it is it, it's an amazing challenge to have it is it's an incredible solution that you've managed to put together so congratulations to you and to the city thank you um john I want to ask you some of the current initiatives or things maybe you're thinking about doing um, that enhance the digital experience and engagement of Dayton residents and visitors. Yeah, and you know, I'll start to just piggyback off of uh, Michael's answer. Um, you know, his predecessor was a guy named Todd Jackson, and, and Todd and Westerville have been so far out in front of this municipal fiber thing, it's not even funny. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that I got from a conversation with, with, with Todd was the value of conduit, right, and how valuable the leases on conduit may be. And so, you know, as a, a piggyback to his point and going back to collaboration, you know, one of the things that we found out through some of our public works employees was that we have a very large old steam infrastructure um, uh, asset underneath the city of Dayton. And right now, everybody's trying to put in 5G. And what do they not want to do? They don't want to dig up concrete, right? And so what we're trying to do is, is use a little bit of innovation to say, all right, all right, there might be some risk there. But is the risk worth taking knowing that it could be monetized and really create a nice revenue stream for the city? So that's a piece of it. But going back to your question, you know, all cities, I think, have a a, um, a preponderance of, of of technical debt, right? We all sometimes, I wouldn't say fall asleep at the wheels, but we're very spread thin. We have limited budgets. And so some stuff just waits, right? And then it waits longer and then it waits longer. Well, at the city of Dayton, we have waited too long, right? And so we're now at a point where we have to take action because we're going to lose our relevancy if we don't. Um, because that, I think, is the, the 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 byproduct of inaction, and so we're sitting on literally the biggest digital transformation that the city's ever gone through. And so, over the next 36 months, we're going to modernize and move to the cloud our police information system. We're going to upgrade Kronos and take it to the cloud. We're going to take a cell to the cloud and bring in electronic document review. We're going to take our RecTrack software to the cloud. We're going to take Faster, which is our fleet management software, to the cloud. Um, that's a lot of work. And to be quite honest with you, I took two and a half years to even go down that road because I didn't have the staff to execute. But now I think I've got the players on the bench that can can come into this battle, this game, and win it for the city. And so we're sitting on that, but there's two, two things that we're doing right now that I think are really cool. Um, police at the city of Dayton are very progressive. You know, they're always looking at ways that they can use technology to be more efficient. And I think for a lot of our safety forces, what we're faced with is dwindling numbers. 
because, you know, whether right or wrong, that industry has been beat up, right? And people are choosing to retire. I told our police chief, I said, chief, I'm going to have to unfollow you on LinkedIn because every week it's two or three more retirements. And I don't see you congratulating new people coming in, right? And so our numbers are, are way down and that has a dramatic impact on crime. And so you've got to use technology to be able to bridge that gap. And so one of the cool things we're working on right now is this integration between three separate systems. And that would be our license plate readers, uh, our shot spotter cameras, and our Fusis camera aggregation system. Because how cool would it be if somebody shoots a gun and shot spotter alerts on that, and then all of a sudden, all of your camera feeds that are coming in through Fusis turn on? Right. And we had a so we're, we're under a trial right now with the, the state attorneys general with FUSIS, which is the camera aggregation system. And we've already solved a murder with that system. We had a murder in downtown Dayton about three weeks ago. There were no witnesses. Happened late at night. Well, lo and behold, we started turning on the FUSIS feeds and we had that 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 suspect in less than 24 hours. Um, and so it's already proving dividends. Um, but that integration of those technologies is where we see great value. Um, the other one I would mention is this, this great uh, partnership that we recently created. Um, the city of Dayton has this thing called DRITA, and it's the Dayton uh, Regional Israel Trade Alliance. And as many of you probably know, some of the greatest technology in the world right now is coming out of Israel. Specifically, what does Israel do really, really well? They treat water. And they have to. And so we're learning from a lot of the cool stuff that they're doing. So we just signed this deal with a company called IOSite. And basically what IOSite is going to allow us to do is do not only visualization of our data as it relates to the treatment distribution of water, but predictive analytics, right? Because we don't want to be caught flat footed. We want to be ahead of the game and new software, new technologies allow you to do that. Um, and so that's one that, that I'm pretty excited about. There is one other um, that we got pulled into. And so uh, secession planning in municipalities is becoming an issue. You have a lot of people getting older and retiring. And we were challenged with that. And we didn't really understand where the risks would lie within our organization. You might know it at a departmental level, but you certainly don't know it at the city manager level. And that's where we need the data to reside. And so we used ArcGIS, which is a tool we had that does really cool visualizations, data ingestion. And we created a portal so that we can now allow departments to start filling out, you know, there's a predefined list of questions, um, but it allows us to do some automated identification of continuity or secession risk. Because the thing that, that we know is this, is that not every position brings the same level of risk as it relates to somebody leaving the organization. But you've got to score that, you've got to understand it. And to be quite honest, I love this because the other thing I'm getting visibility into as the, the group that built it, where are there really great candidates in other departments that I may go after? Um, because I have certain skills for certain jobs that I'm looking for. Um, and so can you project manage? You know, can you supervise? Can you lead? Uh, because let's be honest, the technology piece of our job is probably the easiest part to learn. And, I'm, and that's no disrespect to the technologists in the room. But I think the, the relationship piece, the, the ability to connect with people is much harder. And so I'm always about let's find people with all those soft skills and then we can send them to training. You know, if they have an aptitude, if they have a little bit of an appetite to grow their career, um, those we have found are our best candidates. Right. This is fascinating. I have a question from the audience. It comes in as anonymous, but can both of you maybe address it just for a moment and talk about how you determine which issues get studied treatment in the volume of concerns that are raised either by your constituents or by other people in government? How do you decide? I'm going to go back to governance. Um, what I've been blessed with at the city is really great leadership that is in the loop. Um, at a lot of cities, you'll have a city manager, deputy city managers that aren't plugged into technology. Um, I don't have that issue. And I think that's the blessing that we have. We have a pretty good governance model. And so I never get too far out of alignment with our leadership, right? And I typically try to go back to them when new things, because we, we, you know, government's really good at planning right? Because it's all based on the budget for the next year, and they don't want that to ever change, right? And so things do change. And so what we've tried to do, to do at the city is inter introduce a governance model that allows for flexi flexibility and pivots, right? Because sometimes things do come up that have to be done, that have to, that FUSIS project would be a great example. We had a limited trial through the state attorney general's office. That wasn't on my work plan for this year, right? But it was so important for our community that became a priority. But I didn't make that decision because I don't like being that guy. Right. That makes you very unpopular with all your other business leaders that just got told their stuff has to wait. And so I love our city leadership. They're they're great at stepping up and being that face for me. So I don't have to take the 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 brunt 
of, of priority changing. Um, but I, I think the governance is really critical in that regard. And you agree with that? Um, no, I, I agree 100%. To, to, to go ahead and continue on with what John was saying there is, is really that collaboration and those open lines of communication with your leadership. Uh, I, one of the things that I, I've, I've always struggled with throughout my career is making sure you have that seat at the table and you can be not necessarily being, you know, the one making the decision, but being informed, hearing the direction, hearing where the important parts are, where the priorities lie. And that way you can act and respond and communicate accordingly off of those. Um, and one nice thing that with my city manager I get to have is uh, we, we have a, a no surprises rule. So uh, we, we keep each other in the loop. We drop each other messages and, and keep, you know, we meet on a regular basis, but we're also being engaged on what we're talking about, where we're going, what we're doing, and always keeping in sight the main goal of our strategic uh, initiatives and objectives. So by keeping that, that, those lines of communication open, and good strong governance as well it, it really is a game changer and, and i think that's what that's really how you can support that well it's really exciting to hear about all these new um, initiatives that both of you are working on chris i'm going to ask you there, there have to be things that you're excited about what trends or emerging technologies you talked about autonomous systems maybe using some ai in order to you know make sure things are secure cybersecurity is in place what, what are you excited about yeah, Jane, I think AI and machine learning is a, a really a, a game changer in the area of SecOps and allowing folks to go in and have some level of automation to go through your network to sniff out imperfections or issues or incidents that may arise. I think the more automation that we have, the better. But I will say before we look into that, that a lot of research and development needs to be done about access, uh, user role-based access and other areas that impact a network. And there needs to be a level of maturity within government to be able to manage those tools. So that being said, I, I would adopt the wrong um, crawl, walk, run theory when looking at AI and machine learning in government, knowing that sometimes government is three to five years behind, if not longer in some instances of how we adapt that. So I, I would take an incremental, a, a phased approach to uh, AI and machine learning and how you introduce it into your respective environment and ensure that the right kind of comprehensive training is in place for government employees to do that. Um, that being said, I think one of the areas that Tanium is really focused on is we're also looking at AI and machine learning within our research and development team. We're constantly making our product better, and we rely a lot on our government industry and, and folks to have a seat at the table to say what works now, what doesn't, and what can we do to enhance our products in the future to make your life more efficient and effective. I will say um, Internet of Things is a big area that we focused a lot in on Tanium, the ability to patch out to your cloud solution provider, whether that's Azure, Amazon, IBM, what have you, the ability to patch in the cloud, the ability, as I mentioned earlier in the program that I used to manage with digital innovation of the Internet of Things, of those open source apps uh, to go in and manage, close those doors, make sure there's security baked in, that you're patching effectively and efficiently within those respective uh, applications. So when people hit those on the outside, there's a low regard that there's going to be some kind of mitigational issue or risk that could come up that you can manage appropriately. So things of that nature, I think are really important. It goes back to basic blocking, fundamentally and tackling, as I'd like to say, using a football analogy, it's really important how you manage your environment. And that's specifically at Tanium, what we do in terms of focusing and managing and working together in a collaborative partnership with our uh, business and, and government customers. Uh, and uh, they say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to run a successful information technology organization with security and operations baked in. And at Tanium, we try to understand that story and identify with our platform ways that we can align IT with the needs of the business and be what I call a safeguarded um, you know, personal partner to the business and to our customers that we serve. So having that constant, constant evolution of change, adapting and looking at new technologies and being able to integrate that within our Tanium platform, I think puts us in a nice position to help further success our clients' um, business opportunities, but reducing their risk thresholds at the same time. So I'm very excited about what lies ahead with these newer technologies, but I, I will say that we want to make sure that we're managing risk up front and that every decision that gets made about all the great things that we're doing at the local level or city level or government level, again, that we take security into consideration on how we manage that and look at a centralized profile overall. And I think we'll be in a much better position to continue to look at citizen engagement from an implementation perspective that makes our lives as constituents 
that much easier in the ability to service our constituent in a, in a factor that uh, mitigates and has a lower risk threshold applied to it. And it's so I think that's I'm sorry, continue. Oh, so I was just saying, I think that that's very important today and that, you know, what we try to do is bring our IT organization and security organizations together. And so there's a partner at the table and then also to getting the CIOs or CEOs or respective organizations or city managers to partner with their CIOs and CISOs to understand the nature and degree of security and how important it is to have security invested and baked into all your solutions. Yeah, I, I love it. I think the future is so exciting. And, and what you've talked about here today has just been fascinating. Really, it's wonderful to see how you're moving the ball forward. So I, we have about uh, 30 seconds each. I want to give you a chance to wrap up and just throw this out there. What's your vision for the future state of technology, either for your municipality, your city, or for the state of Ohio, or for the country in general? Where do you see it going? Michael, start with you. Um, there's... I think there's two main things. One, um, you know, the the whole Intel, Meta, uh, AWS data centers, these small companies that have come in have really challenged Ohio to think, we're not thinking big enough. We really need to think bigger and we need to work to actually grow the region to be able to help support these large initiatives. And I see it through two ways. Uh, and I know John mentioned it, it was about, about education and finding that talent pool to pipeline the right people into these roles. Uh, we have to start early. We have to engage and start training them for the jobs of the future now to retain the talent here uh, before they get picked up and moved away. Uh, but we have the opportunity to really help grow and support the, and what we currently are looking at now and what's going to come in the future. And the second piece is around data as a whole. Uh, data is the new oil. I, I know somebody important said that, and I can't, can't cite them specifically, so I apologize, but um, we have to break down some of the barriers I think that we have uh, in, in the region or even in the state. We see success stories and have talked about them. Uh, Chris and John have mentioned around you know, public-private partnerships, how those are successful. Uh, partnerships with universities, how great things come out of those initiatives when we partner together and we share initiatives of resources and data. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could go ahead and break down the barriers so private entities, public entities, municipalities, uh, universities all share the same data and be able to use data sets to be able to head and use, use it for future proofing and, and looking to make sure we have the right resources and we're developing infrastructure in the right areas. That's where I see the future really laying is in that collaboration piece and, uh, and breaking down those barriers. I love it. John? Yeah, it's a tough one. <clears throat> you know, I, I've lived in Ohio my entire life. And, and one of the things that I've seen recently that I really love are these these shirts that Ohio X, I think, puts out that, that it has Ohio, the Silicon Valley of the Midwest. Right. So when you talk about a vision, right, that's that's the pride that I have in this state and what we can and should be. Right. Ohio is the birthplace of innovation. I think it's 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 the 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 birthplace of flight as well. We do a lot of cool things here. And how do we take the momentum? And you had mentioned a few, right? This area specifically is on fire right now. Um, and how do we take that momentum that Columbus and the Columbus region has generated and spread it throughout the state? Um, but ultimately, you know, my job is to ensure that the citizens of Dayton are well taken care of. And so we've got big problems right now. We have significant issues with digital inequity that we need to address and be a player in, in, in bringing better solutions to the table. But ultimately, you know, what I want is for our city to be looked at as the preeminent place within Ohio to live. And I know that's a little selfish, um, but the city of Dayton is a great place to live. And technology has to be a piece of that. And we're perfectly set up to exploit those opportunities. Um, but ultimately, I'm a big believer in this state and what we're doing. And so I, I think that if you ask me about the vision, um, it's heading in that direction where pe when people think of technology, they're not thinking about San Jose or Silicon Valley anymore. Right. They're thinking about Ohio. All right. I like that. Chris, any final thoughts? 30 seconds. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, you know, I will leave you with a couple items. And first, I want to thank the two panelists. I think they were very comprehensive and innovative in terms of articulating a plan for their respect. You guys should be well commended to that. And thank you. I will leave you with a couple of lines. I, I think, as I always say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And when it comes to information security, as we innovate, we continue to modernize our application, look at technology to drive innovation, reduce ROIs, you got to ensure that there's a security component baked into that and that your security people have at the seat at the table. So before you put something in production, 
make sure you have a comprehensive test plan and the right types of security tools to mitigate risks, both within your organization and out of the attack vector. So great to be here and thank you. Thank you, Chris. And thank you both, I, all, all three of you, please, for, for being part of this conversation. Wonderful information. Thank you all. Please give our guests a round of applause. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our guests, Michael Farrar, Jonathan Reich, and Chris Cruz. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to Caracast, and be sure to listen to our other discussions. If you'd like more information on how Kerasoft can assist your organization, please visit www.kerasoft.com or email us at slgmarketing at Thanks again for listening and have a great day.